the God of the Bible is just so emotional. And I don't think we talk about that. Oh, we talk about the love of God. Okay, sure. And the compassion of God. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't talk so much about the delight of God or the sorrow of God or the hatred of God or, um, or the jealousy of God. Maybe the anger of God, Well, because the Bible talks about the anger of God. But I, I felt like I need to think about this just for the sake of myself, I want to try to make sense of this, the, the God in, in, that I encounter in the pages of Scripture. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Is God emotional? Does it feel wrong to you just to ask that question? Sounds a lot, doesn't it? You know, it was in 1980, way back that a famous Christian released a little book entitled Emotions, Can You Trust Them? The title alone gives a clue about the implied answer. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of truth in that little book, but it betrays a general attitude we've had in the West for a long time. Reason is good. Emotions are bad. Reason leads the train and the emotions are the caboose. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that said from the pulpit. I've even said it myself. But when I started delving into the scripture, I saw something actually totally different. I see in the Psalms, people getting very emotional. I see God as a God of wrath, a God of love, a God moved in incredible ways. It made me wonder, how did we get this view that emotions are all bad? On this show, we have talked to historians, poets, and even literature professors who have reminded us that it was actually the Enlightenment and not the Bible, that elevated our reason to the ultimate faculty of our humanity, thus downplaying any idea of emotion. And at the same time, we've seen a huge cultural shift today that has elevated our feelings above everything else. In fact, we've spent a great deal of time talking about that with Alan Noble, Kelly Capick, and Carl Truman. But how do we reconcile these two very different ways of looking at the world? You've got reason on one hand and then emotions on the other. And I know that many conservative Christians seem not to want to talk about emotions at all or at the very least are very, very suspicious of them. And not without reason, to be fair. But throwing out emotions is not the answer. Not least because God himself has emotions. Yes, (laughs) I said that God has emotions. Today is part one of my recent conversation with professor and author David Lamb. David is an Old Testament professor at Missio's Seminary in Philadelphia and the author of several books, including God Behaving Badly and his latest which we are talking about in this conversation, the emotions of God. It's a conversation that is provocative, insightful, and sure to give you insight into the person of God. And may I be so bold to say yourself, because we are made in God's image. 
and our emotions come from Him. Now let's get to it. But before we do, we want to take a moment to express our gratitude for your continued support. Your engagement, feedback, and enthusiasm keep us going. They inspire us to keep exploring subjects like the emotions of God and delving into the mysteries of faith. Maintaining a ministry of this nature involves ongoing expense. From production and editing to research and guest coordination, your contributions can help ensure the long-term sustainability of Apollos Watered and enable us to bring you more captivating content. And if you do find value in our episodes and would like to contribute, simply click the link in the show notes. There, you'll find an option to support us financially should you wish to do so. Whether it's a one-time donation or a monthly contribution, your generosity will directly impact our ability to continue delivering thought-provoking conversations and exploring the emotions of God. Of course, we understand that not everyone may be in a position to provide financial support, and that's perfectly okay. Your continued listenership and engagement means the world to us, and we appreciate your involvement in our growing community. By sharing our episodes, leaving reviews, and spreading the word, you help us reach new listeners and expand our reach. At Apollos Watered, we're committed to fostering a space where profound ideas are exchanged and meaningful connections are forged. Your support in any form allows us to keep that vision alive. Thank you for being an integral part of our journey. Now, let's dive into today's episode where we explore the intricate emotions of God with David Lamb. Happy listening. David Lamb, welcome to Apollo's Water. Well, thank you, Travis. It's my pleasure to be here. Are you ready for the Fast Five? No, but go for it. Okay. You talk about football in your book, college football specifically in the 80s. So I'm going to ask you this. The best quarterback in college football in the 80s is who and why? I'm going to have to say John Elway um, <laughs> because he took a team that was didn't have a lot of talent and um, uh, won a lot of games. And what I think he got drafted second in the NFL and eventually uh, led the, the Denver Broncos to a couple Super Bowls. So, uh, yeah, I, I saw him live and um, actually had, you know, had a couple interactions with him uh, on the Stanford campus. We were not friends. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were not friends. We, but so both econ majors. But, yeah, let's just say John Elway. I, it, it's really interesting when you talk about that in your book. I didn't know about that game. I mean, I've seen yeah. the highlights of the game. Like I've seen the the band coming on the field. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty interesting little thing there. All right. Well, let's go to the no. second question. Second question. You reference the crown a lot in your book, this most recent book. So here's the question. Who played Queen Elizabeth II the best? Claire, Flo- Claire Foy, Olivia Coleman, or Imelda Staunton? Wow. Um, I really like Claire Floyd. I mean, that's, that's when we started the show. Um, I knew the least about that Elizabeth. And I think Claire Foy is a great actress. The, the, those three actresses are all amazing. Yeah. We'll say Claire Foy. Okay. Okay. I, I liked Olivia Coleman just because I don't know, maybe that's the one I knew more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like I knew that one familiar. Maybe it's the grandmother kind of thing. All right. Now you've moved around 
the United States quite a bit, but you spent most of your time kind of in the Midwest, even though you haven't been there for a while. But best thing about growing up in the Midwest is what and why? There's no traffic. There's no traffic. <laughs> I lived. I lived in. I lived in the Bay Area. I lived in Los Angeles, and now I live on the East Coast. We ne- never ever had traffic. I mean, you you wouldn't talk about the mosquitoes as being great. People are really friendly. Um, yeah. People are friendly, but I, I love, there's no traffic. You just, if it's an hour to get somewhere, it's an hour to get somewhere. And there's like no one around. It's just fun to drive like that. I, I get yeah. stressed out. My stress level is so different when I drive in the Midwest than when I drive. In yeah. Midwest. Yeah. No, it's, it was, uh, it was, it was a great place to grow up. A lot of friendly people. Most of my friends got out of Iowa. Um, which, uh, you know, maybe it's too bad. Who knows? But Some people are like, I don't like, got to get out of Iowa. There's nothing else to do. And there's other people that are like, I love it. This is my state. Are you kidding me? I dated a girl once. She was from Indiana, but she was from a town and we were driving around. I'm from central Illinois. And she's like, how do you tell what road you're on in country? You know, I said, I can differentiate between cornfields. Can't you? <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> she's heck like, yeah. No, Iowa. Yeah, Iowa, Iowa was great. I got to, I got to walk beans in the summer and to tassel corn in the summer. And, you know, it built character. So <laughs> when I'm probably a uh, hundred degrees outside, it just makes you tough. And I, I used to deliver, deliver the new Des Moines Reg- register every day, uh, or for a couple of years, got up at uh, five thirty, And, uh, I don't know. Iowa was a great place to grow up. Can you, can you believe now that there's not really any paper boys anymore? I mean, yeah. that used to be like the job that you could enter in, you know, get some money. But uh, anyway, and you, you, yeah. you walk beans. I walk beans on and a bean buggy? corn on a bean What's buggy that? Or with, with a bean buggy or with just no, a hook? no, we were just walking and we would pull up the weeds, um, pull them up. I had a cut, yeah yeah I, yeah. I had a bean hook. I could cut them. No no we 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 yank them. Now again, there weren't a lot, a lot of these fields were were pretty clean, but yeah, and you wore gloves because you know, and it's it's hot and wet, and you're walking through the these 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 bean stalks or leaves, and you're getting wet in the morning, and it's kind of itchy. And uh, yeah, anyway, a lot of walking uh, builds character. It does. I mean, I did that all the time when I was a kid. So I look at my kids now and I'm like, you have no idea. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I'm like, empty the dishwasher. They're like, oh, it's so hard. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Stop it. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, ah. Kids anyway. these days. Oh, I feel old. <laughs> I feel old. I, these kids today, like my kids, are all digital natives. They don't know a world without the smartphone. I'm like, I actually went to someone's house this past summer and they had a rotary functional rotary phone. Wow. Look kids. It's a museum piece. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those gotta be worth something. I have to be. I don't know. I don't know. All right, here we go. Next question. Number four, the best movie or your favorite movie of all time is what and why? Uh, so many to choose from. What was the, it, it's beautiful life or the be- a beautiful life. It was, um, it's my favorite. It's the funniest, uh, concentration camp movie I've seen. Uh, um, uh, I think that's what it's called. Right. With, um, yeah. is it Italian? Italian? Yeah. 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 yeah that, that one, like all these awards. It, it did. It did. I, it, I had a young son, um, uh, about the age of the boy in that movie. 
um, when we saw, this was probably 20 some years, maybe over 20 or 25 years ago, but I remember just weeping and laughing mm. at a movie that made me far, I can't think of a movie that made me weep more or laugh more. Yeah, that was just a powerful, deeply powerful movie um, uh, about a father's love and sacrifice for his family. Mm. So, yeah, it made a dim, deep impact on me. Is it Beautiful Life or A Life is Beautiful? Life is beautiful. That's Life it. Life is yep. beautiful. You know, I have yep. never seen it. I started it. And that was at the time when I was a kid where I didn't, I mean, not a kid, but I didn't want to watch movies with subtitles. So yeah. I need to go back and watch it because I remember. It yeah, no, 19, 1997. Uh, uh, Life is beautiful. Yeah. He won an award for that, didn't he? I think so. I know it was nominated for uh, Roberto Benigni. Yeah. 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 I wonder what he's done besides, I mean, any American film. Probably. Who knows? Who knows? Number five. If you could be an Old Testament book, what book would you be and why? If I could be an Old Testament book. Um, wow. What? Probably Jeff's. Um, you know what? Oh, let's shift gears. Shift gears. Let's say Psalms. Psalms. Oh, okay. Psalms is, is a book of prayer. And there's a such a wide array of emotions in the book of Psalms. Um, yeah, this is probably my first favorite book to teach, but to have a book that epitomizes me, let's say Psalms, because it's just, there's, there's angry Psalms, there's happy Psalms, there's um, weeping Psalms, there's joyous Psalms, but there's just such, it, there's historical psalms. Um, there's such an array, and it's all kind of prayers. Um, psalms that are about the Word of God, Psalm 119, Psalm 1, Psalm 19. So it's the psalms that help us connect to God, connect to God's Word, connect to our emotions, and hopefully maybe lead us to praise. Um, so, yeah, that would that'd be a great book for me to be. Hmm. All right. This isn't one of the questions, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could have an Old Testament name, what would it be and why? This is just my own curiosity. I do have an Old Testament name already, but if I could have a different one. Um, <laughs> I mean, <that's> what... <laughs> wow. Let's see. Um, you know, I, I always I always like the name Joseph growing up, but the, the meaning of it is like, you know, it's kind of like, give me another, um, which kind of is like, uh, you know, give me another uh, one. Another, please. You know, it's um, Rachel, uh, an Old Testament name. Um like, I, I, you know, I, I love the names of my sons, Nathan and Noah. Um, Nathan is gift. Noah is rest. Um, obviously I wouldn't want to take those names cause we gave those names already to our sons, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Joe, I always like the name Joe, uh, Joseph <laughs> don't like, don't love what it means, but there's just something kind of Joseph. I, you pick Joe or Joseph and you've got like Mahershal Hashbaz or you got, Mel Oh Kansas yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird ones out there, uh. but, uh, yeah, those that would you know it's easy just to write Joe on a piece of paper. Sign your name Joe Meher Hashbaz. That's that's you know I'm having troubles even saying it, and this is my job, right? So, you know I'm supposed to write that down. I guess you could just write write you know abbreviate the letters or something. But yeah, no, that's messy. 
I'm a practical guy. You want to know, like, did they back in that time? Like I, I talk with my kids about what their names mean. I mean, did they do that? And how badly did they scar their kids? You know, like Joseph, we just mentioned like how we wanted another, you just, uh, yeah, you weren't that good. <laughs> we wanted to give back. Yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and, and we just, we don't get it, but, but all of their names, a lot of their names have God as part of their name. Right. Um, but we don't get that because we just read Elijah um, or Samuel or, um, you know, these names, but, Back then, those names meant something in a way that um, uh, we don't kind of appropriate uh, today. But yeah, anyway, names are great. It's funny because I named my son Elijah and he doesn't want anyone to know his name is Elijah. <laughs> He's like, there's no Elijah. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, no one cares, dad. I just say Eli. I'm like, no, Eli was not a very good guy in the Old Testament. Okay, <laughs> let's let's go with Elijah. And he, he doesn't get it yet. But How old is your son? 13. Okay. So he'll get, get it. He'll get it. And then I, named, it. I, I gave all my kids like name, like Josiah. I have Elijah, Josiah, and I have a Mariah from Al Mariah. And then uh, Eliana, God has answered my prayer. Those are my, my four kids. It's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. It's Elmo and Eljo. Elmo <laughs> and Eljo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, those, Eliana, those are Mariah, Elijah, Josiah. That's how my four. Uh, kids. You know, uh, those are great names. So I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up just to get it here, but um, I'm, I'm working on a commentary right now um, and I'm of Chronicles and the first nine chapters of Chronicles uh, it's all genealogy. And there are some fantastic names um, in these genealogies, right? Um, so, oh gosh, well, there's, yeah. Um, er, um, Ir Nahash, um, Mio Nothai, um, um, but there's, there's this one girl, woman, um, Hazalal Alal Pony. Um, and it's just, what a great name. You're not going to get that on a keychain at a gas station. No, no, you won't. You'd be the only one in your, in your kindergarten with that name. I, I, I know today though, right? I mean, my, you my, today. I had a, a class in seventh grade. There were five Davids out of 30 kids, five Davids, 30, 30 uh, kids in the class. So see, I, had, I had 30 kids in my class and we had four Jeremy's. So I get it. I get that. What is out of all the students you've had, what's the craziest name you've had in your class? Yeah. I, um, well, I don't know. I mean, that's, and that's hard. And I, I want to be, I got, I'm going to be a little careful here. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make <laughs> someone feel bad that I thought their name was crazy, but, um, you know, you names are awesome. Unique. <laughs> unique names. How about that? Uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of great ones. I, uh, and the, the unique ones are be- the best cause there's usually a story behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, I get, I get a lot of initials. Um, but you know, the, uh, we have a lot of international students. So a lot of folks from Korea, um, and their names, um, you know, are very different. Um, obviously I have problems pronouncing them, but they, you know, they mean a lot to the, the Korean folks. And that's really beautiful for me. Got a lot of, um, uh, urban students, a lot of African-American students in our classes. Um, again, names a little bit different to me. Um, but they have a, have a deep meaning, uh, um, in, for them and their families. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I love getting to know people and kind of finding out the stories behind their names, but, um, none just sort of jump out at me right now. So, See, I had, I had in my last church, we had 
because we had so many different cultures. So we had Yuha, Yu Yu, uh, Puna, Papu. We had Fire, Leonidas. Uh, what else? Lavender. Um, I mean, we had all these names. And I remember our central support staff were like, I have no idea because we had name tags. <laughs> we would we print them up every week. It because you had to to get to know people in a in a like that. You had to learn how to say people's names. But they the staff would call me and go, I have no idea <laughs> what, what this is and how to spell it right. There's so many different cultures. It, it was beautiful. We loved it. One of the names, I, I, this is, this goes back a long time, but I remember um, when I was uh, uh, doing um, urban ministry with a, you know, this, I think this was in Newark um, with an organization there. And I met this young girl named Tamar. And I was like, why were you, you know, and I didn't say this to her, but I remember thinking, why would you name, well, because David's daughter named Tamar was raped. Um, uh, and then uh, Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, pretended to be a prostitute. And um, I'm like, why would you name your daughter this? And it struck me as really odd at the time. But then later on, I guess I wrote, I wrote this book called Prostitutes and Polygamists, Look at, um, Love Old Testament Style. It struck me that both of these Tamars are really impressive people. Um, and despite severe kind of being, you know, hardship, um, victimized by the kind of the men around them. And obviously um, the Tamar that ended up pretending to be a prostitute in Genesis 38 ends up being the first woman mentioned in the New Testament um, in Jesus's lineage and family tree. And, I, and it, so it literally took me like 25 years to realize Tamar is an amazing name that in my kind of short-sighted, whatever, um, initial understanding, like I didn't really get it, but um, it's an, it's a hard name to to live with. But, um, you know, what great stories. And so and that was something that kind of, um, I want to just think about a little bit. What's, why would you name somebody something like this? And it, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a deep lesson for me, um, in kind of, I don't know, being open to how God is speaking through people and their parents. It, or, you know, it's funny to me cause I'm, I'm sitting there going, I get the story behind it. I'm not, sometimes though, with the parents that I've met, there's not that, some people really think hard about the name. Other people go, I just saw it in a baby book. Yeah. <laughs> that that's, that's, yep. No, that's true. That's true. Um, although, and again, the parents just found it in the name in a baby book, but we realize now that there's this deep meaning behind it. So um, when I was young, I had somebody tell me, uh, this was a camp counselor one time. They said, um, uh, they were saying, we were, the, the counselor was saying positive things about everybody in our little small group. And when she got to me, she said, I love your name, David, because David was this, you know, man of God, a man after God's own heart. And I'm like, you said all these really cool things about these other people. But the only thing you say about me is my name. I have nothing to do with this. And I, you know, I, I was probably like 10 at the time. It didn't really mean a lot to me. But, um, uh, but I, I, names are big and God, God works through them. Um, sometimes despite, in spite of them, but it's cool. 
We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. Let's hear about your bio, where you grew up, your faith journey, and how did you get to be an Old Testament scholar? That's not something that people just sign up for one day and go, you know what? I think I want to be an Old Testament and talk about Leviticus. I mean, where where did that come from? Or maybe that was your story. I don't know. My parents gave me a love for the word of God, particularly my mom. I grew up in Iowa, but when I went off to college, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I actually wasn't sure I was going to continue to be a person of faith. I was just sorting things out. Um, but I got involved in intervarsity um, when I was an undergrad. I'd say in college is when I fell in love with Jesus. But particularly the thing I fell in love with was the Gospels, maybe even particularly the Gospel of Mark and studying God's Word. Um, so I, I ended up getting um, kind of degrees in economics and engineering, and I taught a lot of computer science. So I've kind of, I've got kind of nerd engineering and, and computers in my background. And this was, you know, I graduated in the mid eighties um, with a master's from Stanford. So there, I, there were a couple different directions I could have gone in, but I really felt like God was calling me to be uh, a campus minister, um, largely because I just loved t- teaching the Bible. So uh, when, one of the things I like to do um, in my early years of campus ministry, because I went, on, went from Northern California to Southern California, I used to do seminars on how to waste a Stanford education. Because um, the students <laughs> I was working with, uh, you know, found out about my background. You've got this engineering and computer science and math, you know, what? Um, but it's like, you know, um, I, I love being with you and I love teaching the word of God. Um, so I did that with InterVarsity for a while in Southern California, um, and then in, in, uh, with InterVarsity on the East Coast at the University of Pennsylvania. Married my wife, Shannon. Uh, she was also on staff with InterVarsity. We had a couple of sons when we lived in West Philadelphia. Um, moved back to California, got my um, MDiv from Fuller, and again, was deepening my appreciation of of god and god's word then i went and got my doctorate in the in the uk had a fantastic time there but through this i just felt like i just love teaching the bible um uh one of my my seminary professors at 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 fuller bobby clinton a great man does a lot of stuff on leadership the very first day of class he puts a piece of paper in front of us um, with a picture of a tombstone on it. And um, he says, okay, this is Tuesday. For Thursday, come back and um, you know, write your epitaph. What do you want people to say about you when you're dead? 
And I'm, I was, I don't know, I think I was in my late 30s. I'm like, well, this is a little early to plan my my burial. I think I've got a couple of good decades left in me. You know, I'm healthy. All's good. So in some ways, it was one of the hardest assignments I'd ever d- done. Um, you know, short, right? A sentence or two. Um, but, and I kind of struggled with it for a long time. But the thing that I came up with is he loves to give others a love for God's word. So that was, that's kind of been my tagline and that, you know, I, I taught Sunday school when we lived in England, um, working with, uh, I don't know, seven to 10 year olds. And when we were moving from England back to, to the U S one of the moms came and said, thank you for teaching my son and daughter. I could tell you love the word of God and that your love for God's word was is contagious. And my, my children picked up, picked that up from you. And I thought, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm hoping, praying that on, on some little way, uh, I can contribute and give people a deeper love for God and God's word. So, um, yeah, and then I've, I've been at uh, Missio Sem. Well, it used to be biblical, but now Missio Seminary since 2006. Written a couple books. I love to teach, uh, particularly Genesis, Psalms, uh, uh, the Book of Kings, Samuel. So um, that's 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 who I am. Well, let's talk about your book, The Emotions of God. I, I remember seeing this and I'd already read your book, God Behaving Badly, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed and recommend it to those out there. This is a gift from our friends at InterVarsity Press that's here. But The Emotions of God, that struck me because I thought to myself, what what are we talking about when we're talking about the emotions of God? You don't hear this often referred to. If you do, you hear about God's love, you hear about God's anger. But you you hear you say here making sense of the God who hates, weeps, and loves. What made you write this book? Well, I'm an emotional person, <laughs> um, and I think probably for the first twenty years of my life, I always was kind of frustrated. I would be in public situations, and something would happen. I would be sad, or even just watching a movie or something. And um, I, I talk about watching Brian's song at the very beginning of the book, um, and being embarrassed about weeping. I I think I for the yeah for most of my life, early stages of my life, I found that emotions were something that I was embarrassed about. And I, they affected me in ways I didn't understand and I didn't like it. I felt weak. Um, I didn't see, I mean, I think stereotypically, most men think that, you know, women are more emotional, men are more stoic. Um, oh, oh, the men can have one emotion, anger, right? It's okay for men to be angry because that's kind of macho and tough. Um, a lot of these other emotions um, just didn't make sense to me. But then as I just started reading the Bible, and, and, and there are sort of theological um, perspectives on God and God's emotions, and we could talk about divine impassibility if you want, um, that seem to be kind of downplaying or almost not taking seriously the, the God that I encounter as I read through the, the pages of Scripture. And so I, I just kept, as I'm reading the Word of God, I'm like, the God of the Bible is just so emotional. And I don't think we talk about that. We, oh, we talk about the love of God. Okay, sure. And the compassion of God. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't talk so much about the delight of God or the sorrow of God or the hatred of God or, um, or the jealousy of God. Um, maybe the anger of God, well, because the Bible talks about the anger of God. But I, 
I I felt like I need to think about this just for the sake of myself. I want to try to make sense of this, the the God that I encounter in the pages of scripture. Writing the book was actually, is almost like therapy for me Mm -hmm. because as I thought about the the ways that I felt all this all these different emotions, I, it made me think about my family growing up, my relationships with my parents, my relationship with my wife, my relationships with my friends. The, the people that are the closest to me are the ones that um, give me the most, the deepest array of emotions. Um, and so, I just was shocked. The God of the Bible is deeply emotional, and I think we need to think about that. And I don't think we talk about talk about it enough in the church. growing up and you mentioned how a lot of the older men, I think, um, you know, we're, we're similar ages and the men in that greatest generation didn't show a lot of emotion until they got older. Part of it was war. That's how they grew up, which I always found a little strange because when I look back over historical documents, I read like Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. There was a lot of emotion that was coming out. And I've often wondered, how do we get to a place where men weren't allowed to show emotion? When you look historically in some of these works, there was not a problem with men showing emotion. And even now, we, we're, we're seeing a lot more uh, books written by being emotionally healthy, having a high EQ, being aware of these different things, because we're not Dr. Spock. You know, we're not just operating in cool, clear logic. We're not robots. And yet, Emotion, even I heard a sermon the other day where they, the, the guy was up there and he was saying something we've all heard where they said, you know, emotions are good, but it's like the, the, the caboose at the end of the train. Don't let it lead. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We are very emotional beings. You can't dismiss emotion. We, God has made us in his image. God shows these emotions. And you've, you've, you've laid out this grid work, this, this uh, really grid for us to see these emotions. Whenever I think of the emotions of God, though, I, I think it's my theological training that stops and goes, how does God have an emotion as if something outside of himself is projecting onto him, but that's not necessarily the case. It's something with intrinsic in himself that we find these things. So let's define it first. How do you define emotions? And do we differentiate between the emotions of God and the emotions of people? Because God is not susceptible to the same ex- in the same way, we are, we're not, we didn't get enough sleep, we're hangry, that, that kind of thing. We get that irritable. How do the, give us a definition of emotions and, and dis, differentiate between the emotions of God and our emotions. Yeah, it, it's actually kind of difficult to define emotions. Um, uh, 
but you know, we, we could throw out some synonyms, you know, feelings, um, expressions that um, maybe we would define them as opposed to rational thought, but it, it is in some ways difficult to just to define this term, but these are um, things, experiences that people have that we know what they are, deep, deep feelings that are prompted by circumstances around us that allow us to feel all of these things, anger, hatred, jealousy, um, sorrow, joy, etc. It, it, it's actually kind of hard to define. Um, we know what they are. Um, uh, you know, if, if you want more, um, kind of a secular book, um, Brene Brown, Atlas of the Heart, um, she kind of talks about this map of emotions. Um, Daniel Coleman, Emotional Intelligence, also gives um, some great definitions. And then, um, well, Tremper Longman and Dan Allender, The Cry of the cry of the soul, um, uh, um, how are emotions real or deeper thoughts? Um, and then emotional, healthy spirituality, which I think a lot of people have also heard. These are, these are kind of good starting points. I have a hard time defining emotions. I can define each emotion separately more easily. So I, I won't keep going there. Deep feelings that we have prompted by, by circumstances around us. Um, sometimes uh, uh, not necessarily connected to, um, our kind of rational thought processes, but, um, in terms of how is God different? That's a great question. I know the first chapter of the Bible tells me that we are created in the image of God. And, um, there are, uh, so God created us as rational and emotional beings, just as he is a rational, a rational and emotional being as well. Um, now, as I looked at the, the seven emotions that I talk about in this book, there are some emotions that we don't see associated with God. Um, surprise, fear, um, uh, maybe those are the two of the kind of more obvious ones that we experience, um, kind of uncertainty, but I think there, there are there are some theologians that like to to kind of differentiate between God's emotions and human emotions, um, and I think they overstate the case because I see humans created in the image of God, and I see many of the same emotions that I feel and that humans feel and um, experience. I see God, the God of Scripture experiences all of these things. Um, and we see this both the, the, the narrators of scripture, the authors of scripture describe God in this way. And then God himself says, I am jealous. I am angry. I hate, um, I, I, I weep. God himself describes himself this way. So yeah, I'm, you know, we could talk more about that. I, I, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, I don't, I don't make a big difference between human emotions and divine emotions. Yes, there are a few that God, that we feel God doesn't. But I think I see a lot of overlap between, again, from scripture, how God feels and expresses emotions and how humans do. Um, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. Well, and we, 
except he doesn't have the effects of the fall. I mean, he, it's in the purest form. So we have, we're susceptible to misperceptions. We're, we're, we're susceptible to the aspects of the fall. Our physical bodies influence that, our, our trauma that we've experienced in life. God is not affected in that way. So when he experiences, and I hate to say experiences it, when manifestation perhaps of that emotion seems to be without the effects of the fall in its purest and most, I mean, just most pure form of what we see it. Like we talk about jealousy and, and you talk about that in the book, which was such a welcome thing to see someone actually talk about jealousy in a positive sense. Now I know our audience is probably tripping right now. How can jealousy be, be a positive? And we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a moment because it can be a positive, but actually all of these emotions when you see them in its purest form are actually very good things. And we see that worked out in God that way that we don't often see in ourselves because we are susceptible to the fall of our misperceptions. Is that right? No, I think that's a fantastic point. We, humans uh, created in the image of God, glorious creatures, fully depraved. Right. Uh, we wretched, <laughs> wretched man that I am. Right. Says Paul. Right. Um, uh, chief Paul's the chief of sinners. And, uh, we, you know, we're kind of second right behind him in that regard. So I think that's a great point. I, I think sometimes people talk about this um, in a sense in, in, in relationship to emotions. It's like, yeah, but this is true about rational thought, mm -hmm. too. You know, our our. Our, our rational thought processes likewise are corrupted. Mm -hmm. So everything about humans, um, our understanding, um, our, our, our reason and our feelings are both corrupted by the fall. So um, yes, um, God, God's reason is never corrupted um, in the same way that humans is. Neither are God's emotions corrupted like um, ours are. Um, but I, I, so I, mean, I think on some level, the folks that are, um, are more, um, the most hardcore about let's differentiate this. Um, people, there are a lot of people that would talk about um, everywhere that, a lot of the places that it describes God as having emotions, um, those are um, anthropomorphisms. These are not actually, this is not actually who God is. But the text, the authors of scripture are using these emotions to describe what God is like in order to make sense to us. And I certainly think that's true. Certainly think there are there are places, um, but a couple of points we need to make about this. Um, First of all, God did become a human, okay? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus was a human. He was, And sometimes I hear people talk about um, when Jesus is emotional, that's human Jesus. And when Jesus is performing miracles, that's divine Jesus. Okay. Well, when Jesus was performing miracles, he was divine. But when Jesus was showing emotions, he was divine too. And when Jesus was, you know, performing miracles, he was still human. So it's, it's, it's they think of like Jesus as being like, has got two hats, the, the God hat and the human hat. And it's like, that's actually heresy. Mm -hmm. Jesus was always fully man and fully human. So the fact that Jesus was like this sh should say to us a lot about what God is like, 
the other thing is the folks that, that talk about this a lot, they will, they will speak more philosophically um, that, you know, God is, God is not susceptible to human emotions. Well, yes, certainly. But they, they, they take this, I think, a step too far when they speak about divine impassibility, that God is not affected by human actions emotionally. Okay, now, again, this is not a, a perspective I subscribe to, so I will just say I may not be the best at supporting this. But ultimately, the divine, this doctrine goes back to um, uh, Aquinas, who goes back to Augustine, who goes back to Plato, and Plato's unmoved mover. Because in the Platonic world, um, God, you know, God was like an unmoved mover. He was not affected. This was, this was kind of the ideal divine being. This perspective of an unmoved mover shaped Augustine and Aquinas and other thinkers after him. And that's how they interpret the God of the Bible. And I think I've got a lot of things to learn from Plato. Don't teach me, don't, I'm not going to look to Plato for core aspects um, uh, of the character of God. Because when I read the, the Bible, I don't see an unmoved mover. I see a totally moved mover who is, is affected by humans. And when humans do, do things, um, he responds in joy. He responds in weeping. Again, Jesus certainly in the in the New Testament, but the God of the Old Testament as well. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's a long answer to a short question. Uh, there's more we could say, but I, I'll end at this point here. God is not an unmoved mover. He's a totally moved mover. That's a bold statement. In some circles, that statement alone will get you shown the door. Look, I get why pastors and theologians talk about it, and that's called the impassibility of God. And I believe, we believe, that there is truth there, perhaps more than David does. But regardless of our specific positions on impassibility, one thing is clear. The Bible shows us that God has emotions. We have emotions because we are created in the image of God. Do we experience our emotions in the exact same way that God does? No, of course not. As David said, there are some emotions that God doesn't have, like surprise and fear, uncertainty. Our emotions are certainly impacted by the fall, but so is our reason. As my friend Kevin, who's our editor here, likes to say, the fall goes all the way down. Part of understanding who God is is understanding his emotions, how they are connected, how they function. What I love about David's book is that it is thoroughly biblical and it's not afraid of the hard stuff. The seven emotions he talks about in the book, hatred, wrath, jealousy, sorrow, joy, compassion, and love. The scripture index, seven pages. He takes a deep dive into why we need to take God's emotions seriously and how we should understand them. It's a very good book. It's also approachable and includes some questions for discussion. Next time, we're going to pick this conversation up again as we get into the specifics about God's emotions. 
and what surprised David as he was doing research for the book. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Please check this episode out or any of our other conversations on our YouTube channel. And please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or be sure to interact with us on any of our social media pages because we want to hear from you. What questions do you have? What do you want to hear more about? And I want to thank our Apollos Watered team for helping us to water the world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. And I'm on the roll.